You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Tuesday, April the 18th. Beautiful, bright, sunny day here in TW11. With that in mind, much of the week we'll be focusing on the events in Newmarket, the sales, and of course the Craven meeting. We're rolling on the good flat racing toward the end of the week at Newbury with the Greenham fixture as well. By the end of the week, we will know which dreams are still alive. We'll also be reflecting more today on the Grand National, the fallout uh, from that uh, in the company of Kevin Blake, who with a group has developed Stand Up for Racing, much of whose messaging you've been hearing over the last 24, 36 hours. Uh, plus, you must not miss today's Weatherby's Bloodstock interview. It is very, very special indeed with a man who has had a really significant impact on racing in North and South America. But first, the case of trainer Robin Brisland and his employee William Degnan both of whom were, were fined yesterday. And um, I use these words from the, the introduction to Peter Scargill's report in, in the Racing Post for overseeing a, a toxic culture of foul language, intimidation and belittlement towards junior members of stable staff, which left them crying afraid and in some cases resulting in serious injury. The way this case has played out is unusual insofar as that there is a plea acceptance and there were originally four days set aside. And Peter Scargill is with me now. Uh, Peter, what did you make of this? Most peculiar, Nick. Um, peculiar in the way that you say it. it kind of emerged from nowhere last week in the sense that we got the, the notice of the disciplinary hearing. Four days set aside, uh, you know, quite serious charges. J19, um, both men were initially charged under J19, integrity of racing. It was changed subsequently during this plea bargain uh, for William Degnan to, to J20, which is improper conduct. Uh, yeah, also then the... There was big delays through the morning, uh, then a plea plea agreement. Um, and fortunately, in some respects, due to the presence of the media, we did get a broad outline of, you know, what had happened um, and some apologies from the other side, the, the respondents, Mr. Degner and Mr. Brisland. But yeah, very strange. A um, lot, more, lot more questions unanswered than answers, um, I would say. The detail you did get is is quite shocking, quite stark. Yeah, I mean, you use the word shocking. A lot of times you'll see people use the word shocking um, in response to something and you kind of think, well, it's not actually really shocking. But this was genuinely shocking when you go through this in terms of um, the, the, the language that was being used. I mean, I'm not being like a shrinking wallflower here. I mean, this is properly horrible language being used in a workplace over a consistent period of time to junior members of staff. Um, you know, it's not acceptable to speak to somebody in that way. So it was it was reminiscent of the Briony Frost Robbie Dunn hearing in terms of some of the language that was being used. And then you sort of you move on to you know hearing some of the examples they pulled out about staff members in tears and instead of being sort of looked after or sorted out, you know they're almost doubling down on them and making you know making it worse. And then you've got two examples of, of uh, young female riders they were described as being um, sustaining injuries one sustained an ankle injury and was you know made to walk back from the gallops by herself um, and then supposedly told she had to continue riding even though she was injured and then an even more shocking case of a rider who split their jaw open to the bone um, wasn't taken to, to hospital or had an ambulance organised by the yard had to do it under her own power with assistance from other staff members and then was forced to ride the horse again when she got back despite her wishes 
and she fell off and injured her jaw again. I mean, it's just, I mean, these are genuinely shocking instances, aren't they? I mean, this is the sort of thing if you go, crikey, that's happening in a British horse racing yard or happened. I mean, this was um, the end of 2020. I mean, you, you kind of don't think this should be happening or, or does happen, but it's laid out and it was laid out sort of quite matter-of-factly almost in the end. Uh, and I suppose the obvious question is, do we have any idea why the BHA accepted a, a plea bargain here? No, no, I, I don't. I don't know what happened. Um, there was, as I say, it was it was due to start about nine thirty. They finally came in about three or four hours later. Um, it was put to the to the disciplinary panel. Um, this plea agreement, they they read through it. They seemingly were happy with it. Um, if I can find the exact wording, I'll tell you what they said. Um, so the panel said they considered the proposed terms of the agreement and they felt it both accurately and appropriately reflected the available evidence and it was in the interest of justice to approve the agreement. Um, they said they were very grateful for the efforts of all concerned and considered it very much in the interest of justice not to take up more time and costs with a hearing and a lot of detailed evidence on the matter. Now, I might just be a newsman and I might be looking at this from a newsman's perspective, but I would argue, given what we heard subsequent to this statement, granted, that a lot of detailed evidence would probably be quite beneficial to understanding what had happened, why it happened, how racing is supposed to move forward from this position. Now, granted, there'll be written reasons in due course, but written reasons won't contain witness testimony and those sorts of things. It feels it feels incomplete and it feels strange that there's some sort of disconnect between the the charges and the accepted findings and the, the, the punishment. The punishment and the crime don't seem to fit here. All right, that was Peter Scargill, his racing post colleague, senior writer Lee Modisette is with me today to digest all of that. And you can understand what Peter Scargill was, was saying there. This is a... a a case of significant gravity, Lee, that it that it needs a, an airing, which it which it has got, even though we haven't gone through what you might describe as the full process. Yeah, um, and I completely um, understand and agree with with with, with Pete's position on that one. Uh, in many ways, you would have liked this to go through uh, the normal process with the normal coverage it would have received. Um, albeit that might have been difficult for some of the witnesses um, involved and they're the most important people in this process. Um, it strikes me as um, an appalling case um, and the behaviour of uh, Robin Brisland um, and his senior staff member, William Dagnall, is so desperately reprehensible um, that I'm pleased that their behaviour has at least been exposed um, and whilst there will be question marks about whether the financial penalties imposed on them um, are uh, sufficient I suppose in a wider sense Nick um, if you are a young or a, a not young racing staff member or potential racing staff member and you are thinking where you would wish to be employed I don't suspect Robin Brisland is going to be at the top of your list right now. Ali, if you apply normal judicial principles to this, once there is an acceptance of guilt at whatever stage that is, and that there is a, a plea agreement, then it is always going to be the case that 
this is going to be moved on uh, as swiftly and as inexpensively for the, the whole judicial process as is possible, even if that leaves people feeling that they haven't had the, the full picture. I think in this case, there is quite possibly a situation whereby uh, those who are leading the inquiry felt that they did not want to uh, put the, the witnesses, as you say, the most important people in this case, through any more uh, undue discomfort, given the fact that, that they knew that, that, that guilt had been accepted. I think what will be debated, as Pete said at the end of his piece there, was whether the, the punishment that has been given actually fits the crime, given all the, uh, the safeguarding issues that this case throws up. In inevitably, it leads to um, frustration, but there is a legal principle at play here, and I can see why they've done what they have done. And I'm pleased that the BHA did use yesterday, at the le at very least, to um, talk about what took place. And it wasn't one of those instances where um, someone has 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 done something. Um, they receive a penalty and we're left with questions as to what did they actually do. I think it's important that we know uh, what Robin Brisland and William Degnan did. Um, so although we haven't had a, a full trial, we, we do know what took place. And I think that is important. All right. Well, as you've been hearing over the last few days, Stand Up for Racing, a group set up by uh, Sally-Ann Grassett, Kathy Grassett, Quiver Doherty and uh, Kevin Blake has been um, gathering momentum and applying itself significantly across news outlets in, in Britain, Ireland and elsewhere to really enforce and reinforce messages of positivity surrounding the sport. Um, of course, this is in the wake of uh, the Grand National, the protests, the delay, the fatality. Kevin is with me now. I think, Kevin, most of our listeners will be pretty familiar with what you're doing but just for those who who've not been here or, or haven't been tuned in just very briefly explain the the sort of impetus behind it yeah thanks for having me on nick um yes basically look i think last week we, we got a pretty stark um illustration of the need for something like this um you know starting off with good morning britain and kind of carrying on as the week went that we an awful lot of opponents of racing um tend to be given you know a free reign to um to spread what is often you know misinformation and and malicious comment about horse racing without being necessarily challenged in the mainstream and um look we felt that there was a place for an organization or, or a movement an initiative call it what you like um, that was independent of any representative bodies with, with no affiliations to anyone that just have the 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 greater, wider, long-term interests of horse racing at heart and are willing to put themselves out there onto these platforms and get involved in these discussions and um, correct any misinformation and also put forward the, the more positive side of the game that, that we're also familiar with. Um, it, it was inspired by uh, an initiative called uh, Kick Up mm. in Australia that, that's been doing great things um, for since they were started there last year. A really admirable group and sure, look, I suppose we and and those that are that have gotten involved since it was formed and it's, I feel it's only going to get bigger and bigger um, have been you know, we've been doing our best to, um, you know, in, in what has been a difficult week, um, to try and get as many informed people on the on television, on radio, 
etc making sure that, that our game isn't getting um, unfairly pulled through the mud um, look we're not cheerleaders um, we're here to we're also here to acknowledge that um, there are areas that can be improved and we're more than happy to discuss those and inform the audience um, as to what has been done to make those areas better so look it, it's been really positive Nick the, the, the support has been um, a bit overwhelming to be honest in terms of the, the volume of it and we'll be a little while catching up with everyone that's been in touch I suspect but um, look it's been very good we, we're, it's, it's a two pronged thing we're looking to do um, one is to put together a team of um, you know experienced media communicators um, that are that we can arm if they aren't already armed that we can arm them with the pertinent um, statistics and information and that is given to us by the various interest groups um, so that they can go and represent our industry well um, on mainstream platforms and longer term you know we want to put together a resource a website with all this information on it so anyone can see it and that um, day-to-day followers of the sport can use that resource to be ambassadors for the industry themselves because you know we all see on our on our daily comings and goings on social media etc you do get an awful lot of um, of rubbish posted on there <laughs> about racing and an awful lot of people see you know feel and want to correct that and um, if we can get this resource up and running it'll hopefully make it very easy for people to do that with um, you know vouched for verified mm. statistics um, that that put the true picture out there and you, you know as well as I do, Kevin, that, that social media can be your greatest friend and your, your deadliest enemy as well. And, and you've, you've had great support across social media over the last few days. But sometimes when the fire burns incredibly bright, it tends to, to fizzle out that, that little bit more, more quickly. I guess the, the, the secret now is how to sustain uh, the, this endeavour. And, and I guess convincing other countries, other race courses, perhaps more people in Ireland that they need to, to get behind this, and the threat is is very real. Is part of is part of what you're trying to do. Yeah, look, I think so because look, this this week around the Grand National is always probably is almost certainly going to be you know your busiest, most active week in this sort of endeavour of the year because we all know the heat the Grand National creates, um, and when it goes a little bit wrong, you know how how hot that fire can get. Um, so look, this this has been a busy week, but like you say, we're we're thinking of ways to keep the momentum up uh, and to keep the thing moving because um, like the Grand National, you know, is the front line of this conversation that we're having about horse racing um, and we need to we need to carry it on we need to have everything in place that if something does happen and as I always say Nick there's never a dull day in this great game and you're never you're never that far away from your next controversy so it's um, it's important to have everything lined up and um, and we do have plans we're, we're talking about it there um, endlessly for the last few days as to how we might um, progress this advance this but in fairness like the support has been cross-border you know not just the UK and Ireland and, you know, um, random example, Paul Massara from Australia, Titan of Australian Racing, was in touch um, a couple of days ago, you know, uh, speaking very positively about what we're doing and and, and how we're doing it. Um, you know, Olivier uh, Delois, of, CEO of France Gallo, was in touch, you know, like it's unbelievable, like right, right from the top down all the way down and on. Um, and I think what that tells me, um, is that there's a real appetite for something like this that can just be a little bit more front foot, a little bit more robust than our representative bodies um, often are. And that's not a criticism in that I understand that for, you know, there's political considerations and other considerations that 
they might want to come out and be robust, but it just they just can't when they want to at times. Mm-hmm. And I think you know an independent initiative like this, you know, we we can be as punchy as we see fit. You know, and I think that's important. And I think there's an appetite amongst our huge following in, in this huge industry that we have um, for us to be a bit more front foot and not always be apologizing, not always be defensive. You know, we have a, a huge amount to be proud of um, in this industry. And I think that there's an appetite for, for that to be put front and center, for us to put our chest out and, um, and not be afraid to tell people what we do well. Kevin Blake there. It's, and certainly... Lee Motter's head. We've seen over the last 24, 36 hours the evidence of that of that concerted effort. And as I said to Kevin, the fire always burns very, very brightly, very hard after after events of uh, that we saw on on Saturday. And it's just a question of now um, momentum of positivity as regards racing's message being maintained. Yes, I think that's right. And I've, I've been. Um struck in 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 recent days um not just by the the things that have been said on on um various different media outlets by people like kevin and and richard hoyles who was superb on lbc um on sunday morning and you know quite a few of us have been going on the airways trying to sell racing's message but i was particularly struck by the jockey club chief executive nevin truesdale who across um sunday and monday has done a round of of TV and radio interviews and has been very much on the front foot in um, not just defending the Grand National, but really promoting horse racing. And I think that's important. I think a lot of us go back to what happened at Aintree in 2012 when we had an extremely difficult Grand National. It was won by Neptune Collange, but it was a race marred by fatalities. And I think people at the time remember a a racing response that was overly defensive and an impression given that racing was in some sort of trauma that day. And there's a real danger, I think, that if racing doesn't look like it has confidence in the Grand National and confidence in the wider sport itself, it's very hard to expect anybody else to do that. So I think it is important and it is significant that not just people like Kevin and, and Richard um, go on the, on the on these media platforms so that people like Nevin Truesdale did, Judy Harrington has done that as well. Um, and I think we do have to see people like that really explaining to that, that middle ground that I referenced in my column on Monday about the great job that horse racing does. And also just to try and, um, it's very hard to put an end to, 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 uh, to, to false, to false claims, but to, to point out why ideas about rewilding thoroughbreds um, into the countryside just are, are, are hopelessly naive and inaccurate. Um, so I think what we had on Saturday was an exceptionally difficult day for the Grand National, but I'm, I've been heartened and encouraged by racing's response, including from, if you like, official channels. Uh, Lee, let's talk about the next big um, staging post for for Jockey Club Racecourses, which is this week, beginning today, the Craven meeting, three days. Uh, the Earl of Sefton is the feature race today. And then we've got the Guineas Trials, the Nell Gwyn tomorrow and the Craven on Thursday. And then we roll on to Newbury Friday and Saturday with the Fred Darling and the Greenham. So at the end of this week, we will know quite a bit more about how those uh, classics are going to look. We will, yes. We are all flat fans again this week, Nick, because the action at Newmarket and Newbury 
is extremely um, enticing. It really whets the appetite for what is to come. I think to an extent, it's a relatively low key um, introduction to um, the Craven meeting. Um, the opening day wouldn't be the, the best day of, of the week. The Earl of Sefton is probably one of the uh, the least sexy group three contests in the calendar these days. Races go in and out of fashion. I'm not sure the Earl of Sefton is having a purple patch in that regard. I'll be I'm particularly interested to see how the King's Horse uh, and the Queen's Horse Reach for the Moon goes in the Earl of Sefton stakes. But as the week goes on, um, we have lots of potentially hugely informative contests. And what I'm uh, really heartened to see, Nick, is that some of the trials that we will be witnessing at Newmarket and Newbury actually look like they are going to be meaningful trials. Um, all too often, we get a week like this, and the the most informative things that we witness are racecourse gallops, um, which I always think during a, a week of classic trials is a bit of a head-scratcher. Um, we build towards a Greenham Stakes on Saturday at Newbury that could be a humdinger of a contest with the Dewhurst winner, Chaldean, taking on Godolphin's tremendously exciting Jim Crack winner, Noble Star. Now, that actually happens with some other really uh, smart horses in there as well, like Streets of Gold, uh, Freed Johnson Horton. Um, could, could be a really deep race and actually teaches something. So I think this week, more than in most weeks, these Newbury and Newmarket Spring meetings look set to actually do the job that racing fans would want them to do. All right, Tattersall's Breeze Up Sales, the Craven Breeze Up Sales. The selling begins tonight, Tuesday night, carries on tomorrow, Wednesday. The horse is having breezed. Uh, it seemed appropriate to check in with our friend George Bowie again because Cache is Guinea's winner, came out of the breeze uh, two years ago. And Believing, who runs in tomorrow's Nell Gwynn Stakes, recognised 1,000 Guineas trial this year, came out of it last year. So you can see the pattern we're following here, George. Um, Believing's had a, a, a wind surgery over the winter. Can she repeat the dose, do you think? I think it's a bit of a bit of a tall order this year. It looks um, looks a very warm race, but she's in she's in good shape and um, forward enough in her coat. And I think the the slight ease on the foot will probably help her. She's a filly who had two best runs last year on good soft ground. So Rainer's pretty happy, but it could be a could be a tough ask. I'm guessing, given the same ownership, your your task is fairly straightforward, isn't it? They, they all want to turn up to to the Roly Mile on Guineas Day again. Well, she's got an entry. Um, she's buying Memas out of a Kodiak mare, and I do think that there's a chance that she'll come back to shorter trips. But should she turn up well in the Nelgwin, it would be a shame not to have an entry. Exactly that. And how's Cache doing? She's on the on the road back. Yeah, she's good. Um, I think this spell of warmer weather we're about to get will certainly help her. Um, she's been training away nicely. She's been on the grass plenty, and um, the chart was very much the plan, but. You know, it's a long year, and the the Phillies races don't really start in earnest till after Ascot. So I'm not gonna not gonna ask her too many questions into her first run. She'll be fit and ready to go. But um, we've got a long year ahead. Uh, you've got an important run of this afternoon in the Yellow Sefton Radebach, having the first run for you, ex Varian, ex Murta, uh, gelded uh, quite recently. Uh, how's he getting on? Yeah, he's good. Um, he's got a good record fresh. He, I think he won. He's won two of his um, starts after a break. So, look, he comes here in good shape. He, I think he's a lighter horse for, for gelding and um, seems to handle the dip well. Kevin Stott rode him the other morning and was happy with him. And, um, look, he comes here. It's a bit of an experiment, I think. The trip 
building operation and you know he's he's jumping back into quite warm waters with a couple of fans and horses in there so um but yeah got pretty happy with him uh, and just finishing where we started you've you've taken a look at the horses for this year's craven breeze up catalogue uh, will you be playing again do you think yeah i hope so um just up here at the moment looking at horses as we speak and looks a nice bunch of horses and um Cache and Mr. Angel are two sort of stars out of the sales, so we've, we've got to be on the balls to try and find the next one. Best of luck, George. Sorry, man. Thanks, Nick. Thanks to George Bowie. Now, here's your chance to win two places in the Premier Lounge at Sandown Park for Bet365 Jump Finale on Saturday the 29th of April, as well as two annual memberships to Sandown for the remainder of the 2023 season. Now, the Premier Lounge is one of the most exclusive spaces at Sandown. It offers views across the course. It's a perfect location for taking in all the action and you'll receive a delicious three-course meal, a private table for the day with tea and coffee and parking passes and all the trimmings. All you have to do to enter is fill in the form at jockeyclub.co.uk forward slash Nick Luck. Now, you might be familiar with the name Racehorse Trader, which has been operating or had been operating for a number of years as an online platform that was effectively a a marketplace for for all sorts of thoroughbreds, mares, foals, really a mixture mixture of everything. Now, Racehorse Trader has changed somewhat, has been given a fresh coat of paint under new ownership and is now doing something quite pioneering. Its director is Ed Babington, who you'll know as a prominent businessman in the Newmarket area and also a prominent racehorse owner. We've spoken to him about his Miss the Cuts, more of whom in a moment, quite a few times on the on the podcast, and he, he joins me now. Tell me a little bit about what Racehorse Trader is now, Ed. Well, it's a, it's a marketing platform, it, you know, what we're trying to get across. So, there's, you know, lots of horses are going through the sales rings and changing hands, but we're just trying to give people a platform where they can advertise the horse they can sell it with us under no commission or they can advertise it that it's going to Tattersall's, Doncaster, any of the more traditional sales companies. But what we're trying to do is, is so it doesn't just get lost in the catalogue. You know, we're advertised that a certain horse is, is up for sale, it's being sold or it's 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 going to go to Tattersall's or, or any of the other sales companies. It's just to try and make sure that we, we get as much profile to the horse so, and the visibility that people use it and see where, where these horses are going and when they're going to be sold and how they're going to be sold and what avenue they're going to be sold. Um, what we're trying to do is slightly different. There's, there's always a time to sort of check out of a horse. You know, you're someone who's just had a winner. They think, oh, it's a good time to sell, but I don't want to sell all of them. So they could advertise the horse if there's 10% on there, 20% on the, of the horses being sold just to try and de-risk themselves or, you know, just a nice time to sort of cash out when there's profit because... You know, so many times of horses losing, their values go up and down so much. If we can get people to use the platform as as, as a time to, when is a good time, they think, to just take some risk off the table and, and also give someone else an opportunity that they might want to buy into this horse, you know? Okay, so where can we find you, both virtually and, and quite literally, where is your shop window? So we're along the avenue in Newmarket. So just as, as you get to the traffic lights, we're along the avenue on the, on the drive up towards Tattersall. So there's always someone in the office there. There's advertising on the shop windows. Um, you know, obviously online is, you know, wherever, where all businesses at nowadays. So which is um, racehorsetrader.com. Um, we have a, quite an exciting team working for us. So we have Andrew Tinkler, who was a successful jump jockey for many years. He's come in to sort of 
be front of house with a lady called Amy Drummond, who's, you know, very well known in the town. She goes around filming all the horses for, for the sales and stuff. So there, there's a point of contact and someone that understands the industry because, you know, like anything, we're trying to build a, a tech business or an interest with, which is slightly different, but we need it with racing people that understand their audience. And kind of that's what we're trying to get across and that's what we're trying to do. I own a business with a lady called Alice, um, Beaumont, so uh, her husband's a very successful bloodstock agent. So it is, it is, um, you know, it's it's a platform built by racing people for racing people, really. Uh, Ed, I must ask you about Mr. Cut. Last time we saw him, he was a bit disappointing in Saudi Arabia, but he held the world before him before that. Uh, where's he gone, and what's he going to do? So he's gone over to John Sadler's to be tried on the dirt. Obviously, he's he's a dirt pedigree, and you know we've got to kind of see how he handles it when he was in Saudi he was training on the dirt and he looked like he enjoyed it so you know to give him this best opportunity to see how he gets on with the dirt he's gone over to John Um, you know quite sad it didn't quite work out in Saudi anything that could go wrong did go wrong but you know he is a dirt horse Um, we think he's a dirt horse you know if it if it didn't work out on the dirt you know I'd be so keen to bring him back to George because George did such a great job you know from from where we bought him at to where he got him to. It's a bit sad that he's had to go to America to, to sort of see how that journey plays out. But if it didn't play out, I'd be, be very keen to bring him back to George's. Well, today's the day, Tuesday, where we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. And this is a truly global mission today because I'm actually heading to Lebanon where I'm checking in with Osama Abu Ghazale, who is originally a, a native of, of Jerusalem and runs the Sumaya stable, which you'll know from, I would imagine, their pretty significant exploits in the United States of America, uh, but which is a, a really significant force in Santiago, Chile, where uh, Osama is a perennial leading owner and a, a breeder of, of great significance and has had uh, an influence on the American Triple Crown, uh, for reasons which we'll come to in a few moments' time, and could yet have uh, a significant influence with a, a descendant of his greatest race mare, Wild Spirit. Um, Osama, very good to talk to you. First of all, it, it might just be worth telling everybody why you are in, in Lebanon at the moment and the influence that your own mother had on the naming and um and history of your of your racing stable yeah thank you very much nick for uh, this interview uh, my mother her name is sumaya and she she's a great great lady she, she sacrificed with her with my father god bless his soul he passed away th- 23 years ago they sacrificed so much you know to to take care of us and to educate us and to to put us in a good position in this world, you know, because of all the problems, you know, we we left Palestine in uh, 1948, and uh, my father he lost everything, and he built himself again, you know, in Egypt, and then after the revolution, we had to go to the Gulf area, uh, Kuwait and uh, uh, Dubai and Saudi Arabia and everything. And they worked so, so, so hard, you know, both of them, my father and mother, they gave us an example of life, of sacrifice and uh, honor and uh, love and everything. 
and we love them so much, we respect them so much. And you know, when I I always loved horses all my life, you know, because I, when 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 I was a child, my grandfather from my mother's side, he was he owned a very nice farm in the Jordan Valley near Jericho. He used to produce citrus and bananas and wheat and everything. It was a big farm, a nice farm. And I remember him, I used to sit with him uh, by the fireplace at night when he used to sit with his neighbors, you know, to discuss uh, the farming and the problems and everything. And he had a, a really nice Arabian mare, big, beautiful black mare, whom he used to tie under a tree. And at that time, I was maybe three years old. And the son of the manager of the farm, he was older than me. Me and him, we used to take her, and uh, I used to sit behind him, behind his back, and we'd gallop around the farm. And uh, from that time, I fell in love with uh, with horses, you know, because uh, I think they are the most beautiful creatures uh, that uh, God gave us. And... Uh, Later, I went to South America uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, and we founded the United Trading Company, which became the biggest and the best uh, fruit export company from Chile. And from there also we bought, afterwards, we bought Del Monte, which is well known, you know, worldwide. So you, you presume, presumably, I, everybody has said to you that you actually are the man from Del Monte. Yes, and uh, which is an honor. But always, you know, always my passion, always my passion was horses. And uh, I played polo almost all my life. Uh, and, uh, you know, horses, you know, they cost so much money. They, you have to sacrifice so much if you love horses and you breed horses and everything. But at the same time, it's very gratifying, you know. It's not the money, you, you cannot, you know, calculate it with money, you know. It's, it gives you a, you know, through your life, it gives you... You are different than other people because you look at life in a different way. When you love horses and when you breed horses and when, okay, you spend your money on horses and everything. But you have a better life than other people who only, you know, concentrate on working and making money and everything you have. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, well, people people who love horses, I think they will understand it. Uh, I, think, I think you've explained it very well, Osama. It's that, it's that perspective it gives you. It's that, it's that realization that no matter what you put in, you're not always sure what, what, what you're going to get. And, and it's, it's informed by this extraordinary connection and, and love for the animal it's embodied in in your story of of wild spirit and the impact that she continues to have on your on your life uh, just just tell me a little bit about her her racing career first of all for in in chile and then in then in the us well uh, she 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 won uh, everything in chile whatever she 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 beat the she beat the boys she beat the and uh, she won uh, the Sun Layer, she won everything. And uh, when she went to the US, uh, 
she also it was so easy for her to beat uh, the mayors in the US uh, the only mayor she she faced that she couldn't beat was Aziri but the, the field Frankel Bobby Frankel was her trainer in the US and it you know she she raced in Oakland Park and it was rainy that day and the uh, and the the dirt there their field was like clay, clay, you know, it was very slippery. And Bobby Frankel, he told me, she was so great, you know, in that race that any other horse will stop, you know, because it's slippery, slippery, very slippery. And she came second to Aziri, but she won, she won in New York, you know, group once in uh, Saratoga, everywhere. and she was so beautiful. You cannot imagine how beautiful she was. Uh, the way she, when she was born, she was born in July, which is like uh, January in the Northern Hemisphere, in the field outside. And when she went out of uh, her mother, she did not lay down on the side. She sat like a cat, you know, like a cat. She sat like a cat and she started stretching stretching like a cat and she had a lovely neck lovely head lovely body black black almost black 100 percent. and then she got up like in 15 minutes and she started uh, drinking milk from her mother in maybe 20 minutes and then she started running after half an hour and her mother couldn't catch her you know in chile i have very big fields i love to have the horses to give the horses as much nature as they like and, and her mother couldn't catch her. She was like 20, 30 lengths ahead of her mother. And uh, I told my people, you know, I told the people there in the farm, you know, who were around me. I told them this is the champion. This, And thanks God she was the super champion. Uh, and she she's had this remarkable legacy as well. I'll come to Sahara Spirit in a moment, who, who's now standing on your, on your farm, Sumaya in Chile. But... I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Protonico, who people will know as the unlikely hero, the, the sire of the, the, the ill-fated Medina spirit, who was owned by your, your great friend, uh, Amir Zidane. Um, just tell me a little bit about how you felt through that, that whole journey of, of Medina spirit being by Protonico, a grandson of, of your own wild spirit. Yeah, because, you know, uh, Protonico, because he didn't win Group 1, and he didn't win it because, you know, in the Clark handicap, it was the mistake of the jockey. He came behind. He was last, the last horse behind. And he beat Constitution. He beat all the other horses. And he came second, you know, to... And if he had more distance, he would have won it. However, okay. And then in the another group one, he came third with a crack in his... Uh, in his front hand, and Dr. Bram, like he said, you know, after he saw him, he said, you know, I raise my 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 hat for him. He has such a heart, very very hard to come there, to come third, you know, in a group one, you know, with a crack in his hand, you know, in his last race. Plus, he made the uh, uh, the track record, I think, in the Ali Sheba or Ben Ali race, the track record of that race until now and he was a lovely lovely horse and uh, an excellent racing horse full of heart everything so i said you know i'll, I'll, I'll use him as a stallion in the united states 
But unfortunately, in the United States, you know, they only, you know, the breeders, they only look at uh, group one winners. So I, he got very few mares in the first uh, crop. And from this crop uh, came uh, Medina Spirit. And when he worked Medina Spirit, I told Amr, I told him, Amr, this horse, he worked uh, three furlongs in 32 seconds. 32 seconds by him, Amr. And Amr, he trusted me, you know, and he bought him very, very cheaply. He bought him for 35,000 dollars. And thanks God, he became a champion and he won the the derby and he won it with his own merit. And I say it, with his own merit. And, uh, you know, it was a topical, this thing, you know, that uh, discredited him was topical ointment for the uh, rash that he had that does not affect at all anybody who knows about racing he knows that it is not a performance enhancer this thing it's just for uh, the rash that he had on uh, on his skin and, uh, and this is my view and this is uh, I'm convinced of this 100% and uh, he showed it later in the Breeders' Cup and in the other races, you know, he won another Group 1 and he came second in the Breeders' Cup. Unfortunately, he died of a heart attack, which was tragic. Uh, if he kept on going, he would have won uh, big races. However, the, all, always we say, always, you know, I'm sure, you know, uh, in the West, they feel the same thing. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, something happens and you don't know what is the wisdom behind it and then later after many years you discover the wisdom behind it who knows what happened and uh, what was the wisdom behind it but it's sad but at the same time uh, it makes me uh, proud of uh, of this family and it's a, fa- a family that you should be extremely proud of because it's being it's being um, cultivated uh, by Sahara Spirit, who is an amazing story. Uh, he never raced, uh, and there was a there was a, a good reason for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, because he is beautiful. Yani, uh, would you like me to tell you now about the story of his uh, birth and? Uh... Uh, of course. Yeah. Uh, White Spirit, you know, at the end you put her uh, to, to to tap it. And when she is like nine months pregnant, uh, they discovered, you know, the doctors discovered that she has uh, placentitis, that she had placentitis, which is very, very dangerous. And they, we rushed her to the hospital. And she gave birth in the hospital. You know, he was immature, but he was a beautiful colt. But his uh, cartilages, you know, cartilages behind were not formed yet. Uh, and then she she got septicemia, septicemia, and she struggled so much until she died. It was, yani, it was very very sad for me. And because he was such a beautiful fall and uh, I loved his mother so much, I didn't put him to sleep. Any other breeder would have put him to sleep in order not to pay the fee, you know. It was like almost $300,000, the fee. And uh, we bred him 
with a bottle because he, we couldn't put him with another bear because he didn't he couldn't move he didn't have his bones formed yet and uh, he was bred alone on his own hundred percent he did he did not mix with any other horses and everything because we were afraid that he might break and when he was two years old I took him to Chile and he's so beautiful I kept him until he's four years old and I said because he is so beautiful well okay I'll put him five mares to see what he will give and he gave me the most beautiful babies I could ever imagine and <laughs> very and very very alive very uh, with lots of character and everything lots of presence very good bone very good confirmation i put him you know uh, not top bears uh, medium medium category bears and then three of them ran and three won at once in their maidens and one stake uh, one of them stakes uh, she won a stake in the second race and the other two they they got uh, you know stakes placed and they like distance you know more distance they will the more distance they will run they will do better because they are running against the constitutions and against the practical jokes you know the chilean breeders now they are uh, shuttling uh, stallions group one stallions from the u.s it's you know the competition is very severe it's very and thanks god you know he proved himself and now i will put him the majority of the bears of the farm Wow. So he is now going to be your flagship stallion. He is an uh, unraced and amazingly saved son of your brilliantly homebred champion, uh, sadly no longer with us, Wild Spirit. And what would it be if he could now produce a a champion in the United States? I wouldn't bet against you, Osama. Um, Thank you so much for for talking to me today. (laughs) No, no, he's... Uh, this is my dream to to produce beautiful horses to to produce uh, champions you know it's uh, it's so gratifying you cannot i'm sure you know what it means uh, it's the dream of every breeder well my thanks to asama what a man uh, what a racing life as well and thanks to all my guests today lee motterhead is still with me and has a tip for you for today Yes, so Frank Latore is back on home soil this afternoon. First, uh, Davis final uh, season riding uh, as a as a as a jockey, and also as number one to the Gosden team. He partners unforgotten in the three o'clock at Newmarket, the Close Brothers handicapper horse, who's had uh, a really progressive profile on the all weather. Now moves to turf, and I would not be at all surprised if he can outclass his rivals in the three o'clock at Newmarket. So for me, it's unforgotten with Frankie Dottori aboard. Uh, Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, April the 18th. Back to do it again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.